and welcome to the Complex Care Journal Club podcast. My name is Kathleen Huth. I am a pediatrician in the Complex Care Service at Boston Children's Hospital and your host for this episode. I am one of the course directors for this podcast series where we seek to discuss emerging evidence in the care of children with medical complexity and its implications for practice. I am delighted to have Dr. A.L. Cohen from the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto, Ontario joining me today. He is the lead author of the article, Effectiveness of Structured Care Coordination for Children with Medical Complexity. Complexity, the Complex Care for Kids Ontario, CCKO, Randomized Clinical Trial, published in JAMA Pediatrics in March 2023. Dr. Cohen, thank you so much for being here. Pleasure to be here. We'd like you to tell us about your study, but I'm actually hoping you can start with sharing about the journey to this study and to CCKO, which had been described in an earlier publication by Dr. Julia Orkin at all in BMJ Open in 2019. Can you tell us a bit about the backstory? Yeah, so I, like many listeners to this podcast, have been involved in the world of complex care over the course of my career and was involved in the development of a program locally at my own hospital in Toronto from 2005, so uh, quite a while ago. And over time, we grew our program. Other programs have grown regionally in our province, nationally and internationally as well. And we were lucky enough to get some funding for the development of a network of complex care within the province. And this project arose as a result of that. Uh, it's actually the whole story began in 2015 and kind of tells you something about how long research takes and was around how to meaningfully evaluate a program, like a policy uh, related to the care of children with medical complexity across a large jurisdiction in a meaningful way from a research perspective. So that's really, I think, the backstory to all of this, that it, it began kind of as a clinical program that grew slowly and then over time was fortunate enough to have some support from policymakers to roll something out a little larger and evaluate it in as rigorous a way as possible. That's great. And I guess speaking about the rigor, one of the reasons why we wanted to highlight this study was the thoughtfulness and the rigor of the study design, which was a waitlist variation of a randomized control trial or RCT. So I'm wondering if you could just summarize what you were hoping to, to learn from this study about the effectiveness of the population health strategy that had rolled out in Ontario uh, and some of the strengths and limitations of the approach that you took. So there have been many, many evaluations of complex care programs, including ones I've been involved with as well, that have been usually what we call uncontrolled. So people basically enrolled a whole bunch of patients and families into the study and measured what happened to them over the course of the study. The problem with this approach is when you don't have a proper control group, or if the control group isn't one that's allocated randomly, it introduces all sorts of biases that makes it difficult to evaluate whether the improvements or lack of improvements are due to the intervention or whether they're due to something else, like the natural history of the children and youth's conditions, whether it's related to a whole bunch of other confounding issues. So we had this opportunity in which there was funding that was attached to this specific program, but we couldn't actually roll it out all at once because a whole bunch of patients were being recruited. There was a limited health human resource capacity in the sector, so we couldn't assign patients to providers right away within this program. So we had to create wait lists. 
costs. And we thought that it would be very important to take advantage of the fact that we had wait lists to be able to design something like a randomized control trial where patients are randomly assigned to one group or another group. Now, we didn't feel it was ethical to not assign patients at all to the complex care intervention because there was already quite a bit of preliminary evidence in support of it. But because we had to create wait lists anyways, it allowed us the opportunity to randomize patients to either getting the intervention right away or to get assigned to the wait list in which they receive the intervention after a period of time. And for the purposes of this study, that was deemed to be one year. You mentioned the waitlist approach and the practicalities of performing this study. There were a number of exclusion criteria that were put into play, including there were a number of patients that may not have been clinically appropriate to be randomized to wait for the intervention because of urgent needs. I'm wondering if you can speak to that a little bit. What happens to those patients and how the research design choices affect the, the outcomes as well? Yeah, great point. We had discussions early on around what to do with waitlists. So waitlists are a challenging issue. And the clinicians involved in this study, all of us felt that there were certain patients in which it was unethical to have them wait. So we created criteria in advance for patients who would be excluded from randomization. So they were enrolled into the Complex Care for Kids Ontario model, but they weren't randomized. So they actually weren't included in the study. And it ended up being, I think, somewhere in the order of about 151 patients So literally about half of the patients who are eligible otherwise were excluded from the randomization because they were too fragile, they were um, deemed to have needs that could not be met in any other way other than this particular program. So they were excluded from the randomization and that has implications in the interpretation of the findings because those are likely the patients who most benefit from complex care coordination. And we know that they utilize many more health services than even the patients who are recruited within this trial. So in kind of applying the findings of what we reported in this trial, it has to be taken with a bit of a grain of salt because we aren't looking at, you know, the the tip, tip, tip of the pyramid of complexity in terms of who is recruited to this study. It's kind of one level below that. Can you summarize for us what the intervention was? What was CCKO? So the goals of the CCKO intervention at the end of the day are to improve care continuity and care coordination and to facilitate information sharing and communication between families and members of the care team and doing that all in care that's delivered as close to home as possible. So the way it was actually structured was we developed clinics in which patients were referred to that were led by a dyad of a nurse practitioner and a pediatrician who worked with families to develop and disseminate care plans that summarize the totality of the child's health information, develop goals of care when relevant, develop advanced care planning, all the kind of comprehensive elements of care delivery that were relevant to the child. And then they coordinated care across the system. So within a hospital, between a hospital and a primary care provider, between the health system and schools and other sectors that intersect with the well-being of the child and the family. And the program was delivered as more or less nine to five care Monday to Friday. What it didn't provide, I think it's important to emphasize because it differs from some other complex care interventions was it didn't deliver primary care in the sense of immunizations. It didn't deliver a lot of urgent care, after hours care. All of that was built into the model by partnership with primary care and by other aspects of the system that are designed to deliver that sort of care. The CCKO intervention was more along planning for the implementation of that totality of care, including urgent care. 
Well, let's talk a little bit about the key outcomes of this study. And you know, I think this is a really great model about how families were engaged to not only provide answers on your survey tools, but really defining the appropriate questions that capture the effectiveness of an intervention. And I think a lot of people are interested in how to put family partnership into practice in performing research. So can you give us some insight into this consensus development process or, or how families were involved just at the outset of designing the study and informing what the key outcomes would be? So we partnered with families even before launch because it was important, even in kind of understanding what it is we were evaluating, how to design it. There's tons of evidence to suggest when that is done as a partnership model where it's co-created together with patients and families, it ends up being more effective. So families were involved from the beginning in the development of the intervention and all the backstory of the provincial program of Complex Care Kids Ontario. There were many, many sessions in the development of the intervention, the standards of care, even the definitions of the population, which family engagement was a critical part of. In terms of the study itself, we didn't have a preconceived notion of what to actually have as a primary outcome in the study. And if you actually look at the literature in complex care, you can think of many, many different outcomes that are potentially useful. Probably the most common one that people tend to report in studies is healthcare utilization. And I think that's in part because that information is often readily available in administrative databases as much as anything. But we thought it was really important actually to understand from families what mattered the most to them and what they thought we could potentially change. Because at the end of the day, of the many, many, many different outcomes that can be measured in a trial like this, it it really needs to focus on the ones that are prioritized. And the prioritization process has to include families. So a member of our team, Nora Fayad, who's a measurement scientist, led a whole consensus process where we went through different concepts of things that matter and whittled it down to those that are prioritized as being the most important and mapped it out to existing instruments to think about what tool we'd end up using for both our primary outcome for the trial and our secondary outcome. We ended up landing on something called the Family Experience with Care Coordination, which is a tool that was developed about 10 years ago from Rita Mangione-Smith's group in Seattle, Washington, which was meant to create indicators for complex care coordination. We didn't choose all of the indicators in that there were 20. We picked three domains within that tool to use in our particular trial because those were the ones that were prioritized by families. And that came down to care planning tools and really in-depth understanding of care coordination, both between providers, the neonatologist speaking to the cardiologist or the respirologist speaking to the hematologist, those sorts of questions of care coordination, and also care coordination between families and providers themselves. So those were the three outcomes we chose based on the prioritization process, care planning, care coordination among providers and care coordination between providers and families. And so you found an improvement in one of your primary outcomes, which was the perceived utility of care planning tools in patients who received the CCKO intervention, but no significant differences in your other primary outcomes related to care coordination or in the secondary outcomes, including patient and family health outcomes, healthcare utilization, and cost. So I'm wondering if you can tell us about your impressions of these findings, including anything that surprised you and any thoughts as to why the results turned out this way. So for the primary outcome, we were a little surprised. And I think part of the issue is an issue of statistical power, to be frank. There were improvements in all three domains at one year, but they weren't statistically significant for two of the outcomes. So I think that's how I would interpret the primary outcome. Again, really, really challenging to do these kind of studies. And when you have three co-primary outcomes, which we did because those were the ones that were prioritized, you actually lose power. So that, I think, is the issue of the primary outcome. The secondary outcomes, I think this comes down to like, 
a bit of an existential issue in complex care, which is that you can't necessarily improve everything as much as you want to. Some things are related to the natural history of children's conditions, for instance. So it's very difficult with an intervention like this, particularly one that's time limited, to be able to demonstrate differences in things like child's quality of life. We also found that some of these outcomes improved but only improved at two years, which wasn't our primary outcome. So we compared the waitlist group to the group that received the intervention right away at a year, but then we did a further assessment at two years of all the same outcomes, and a lot of the outcomes improved at two years. Utilization of healthcare services decreased, especially cost of care, a lot of the parental outcomes, things like fatigue, parents' perception of their own health, those sorts of things improved only at two years. So we were a little surprised, but not totally surprised that there was a delay in the time in which we saw some of those effects because so much of complex care is about building relationships and trust between teams of providers and families, and that can take quite a bit of time. One of the things that I was curious about, you know, knowing that this was implemented across Ontario, including urban and rural centers, uh, and that the province is quite large uh, and diverse, you may not have been powered to measure this, but I was wondering if you could anticipate that this intervention may have benefited some patients and families more than others, and whether there may be other things to kind of learn on a smaller scale. Yeah, so it's an excellent point. We had 12 sites in this study, three tertiary care centers and nine affiliated community sites, which were affiliated with the tertiary care centers. And there's an old saying in complex care, you've seen one complex care program, you've seen one complex care program. And even within a program that there was oversight and there was a community of practice that was developed to try to develop some standards, clearly there are differences across sites. The challenge is, this is a bit of an analytical issue, you can't look at the different across sites when there are 12 sites and only 140 patients in a meaningful way. So what we ended up doing was we included site within our model as an adjusted covariate when looking at the primary outcomes of the study. So we accounted for the sites in our presentation of the ultimate findings, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there wasn't substantial heterogeneity across sites. Yeah, other, I guess, questions that relate to just practicalities of this uh, initiative, both the study of it, but also the intervention itself. I was curious whether the study team was involved in shaping or iterating on the intervention. My understanding is that the CCQO was implemented by the Provincial Council of Maternal and Child Health. And I'm just curious about that interplay between something that's kind of rolling out across the province and is the clinical expert and the families and people that are studying it in real time. So it was a true partnership. So just for people who don't live in this jurisdiction or breathe it like I do, we have something called the Provincial Council of Maternal and Child Health, which reports to our funder, which is the Ministry of Health in Ontario. So I guess the closest equivalent would be something like MCHB in the U.S. Maternal and Child Health Bureau. And so they operationalize the program, they report directly to the payer, and they organized the funding for the program. And right from the beginning, we partnered with them, they partnered with us, it was totally reciprocal in the design of this, in the evaluation of it, and the interpretation of it for ongoing policy. So I think to divorce this kind of research from, you know, the end users of it, which at the end of the day are policymakers, would have been unwise. So just as critical as the partnership was with patients and families that we spoke about earlier, I think the partnership with policymakers, and at the end of the day, the people who are going to use this knowledge was just as important to the operationalization of this trial. So now we've spoken a lot about the methodologic approach uh, and some of the strengths and limitations there, as well as what your key findings were and the caveats that come with them. So I guess, Dr. Cohen, what do you think are the implications for clinical practice? So I think despite the mixed findings, I would say 
at the end of the day, these models are really important and really valuable. And there are a lot of really good things about complex care models, but developing them isn't like other interventions in healthcare. I was reading the other day, a classic paper in quality improvement about a trial of a bundle to prevent central bloodstream infections in individuals in intensive care units. And they described that the bundle decreased the event rate to zero, right? to zero, like no central line infections whatsoever. In complex care, you can't expect outcomes like that. As a clinician, as a clinical team, you need to build towards an improvement mentality where you think about what you're trying to improve in a holistic way and in an incremental way. And the interventions look slightly different in different places. Context really matters. The key thing in clinical practice is to be able to think through these contextual issues, think through the individual needs of children and families and partner with them and partner with policymakers to map out what matters most and how to best affect change and then work out processes to try to improve them. And those are all things we tried to build within this trial, role definitions, accountabilities, IT infrastructure to you know build things like care plans. And these things really matter. And I would say one last thing would be measure. Uh, like whatever we do as clinicians, don't assume what we do is working. Always think about how we can continuously assess what we're doing, whether we're affecting uh, important change, and making sure that that change is what matters most. I guess specifically for patients and families who either are listening, who are involved in the design of your study, and also who received it, what are some of the messages that you think are there for patients and families from the study? So many families have told me over the years that complex care is like a lifeline for their family. Others have told me in a way that was very humbling that we don't do a very good job at meeting their needs at all. Yet such programs don't exist everywhere and some seem to be better supported than others. I think we have a real opportunity to leverage the ongoing development of these programs across North America to really be informed by the voices of families. It's a hard ask for many families because they are so busy with the enormous demands of caregiving, but family stories are so important and so powerful. I have to say for CCKO, we wouldn't have gotten funding for this without the voices of families, no way. And if there are opportunities for a family to work with your local hospital, with your local family advocacy organization like Family Voices or others, or other forms to inform in a meaningful way in true partnership, the development of complex care programs, that can go a really, really long way in finding better ways for us to support patients and families in these complex care programs. You alluded to in the paper that there was going to be some follow-up qualitative work to explore patient and family experiences of the intervention, and that's something that we're eagerly anticipating. Thanks for highlighting that. I think it's really important to plug mixed methods research. So everything in this paper was quantitative, as you alluded to, but there's limitations in that approach. Scores on scales, data on healthcare use, they tell you part of the story, but a lot of the secret sauce of complex care are things like trust, relationship building, and those things are really, really hard to measure without using qualitative methods, where you actually ask open-ended questions of families, of clinicians, of end users of the information, what their observations or interpretations of what the experience was. We did publish a paper on this as it relates to CCKO, and it was really, really important in the interpretation of our findings. And it's still an, an important area, I think, of us continuing to understand the outcomes from the study, including amongst the participants who we could not randomize because they were sicker, right? So those are really, really important stories as well. 
what people, I guess, often don't see is what happens after research is completed and reported. So what does happen now with CCKO in practice based on what's been learned from this study and wondering if any other study has been planned? Yeah, so I mean, there's a few pieces that we're working on. One is refining the model, two is expanding the model, and three is finding new patient populations who may be well served by the model. So in terms of refining the model, we have some work going on looking at other things that could be built into CCKO. So one of my colleagues, Julia Orkin, is leading some work on embedding mental health support algorithms within complex care teams because mental health support, particularly for caregivers and also for the children and youth themselves, is such a critical piece of complex care. So continuing to learn from the model we developed to build upon it is really important. We just are in the process of trying to also expand CCKO. The model was delivered in part of the province, but not the totality of the province. Ontario has 14 and a half million people and only about 50% of the province at the moment, geographically, a little more than 50% is within the catchment of places that have CCKO type services. So we're trying to expand it to broader communities within the province. And then lastly, we're about to launch another trial, which is essentially the CCKO model as a transition to adult care. So a very common thing we hear from families is it's all good and nice, but then we, you know, we enter that transitional age and we feel like we fall off a cliff when we enter the adult space. So we're about to launch a trial called PIT Care, Promoting Intensive Transitions in Complex Care, which will be another randomized controlled trial looking at essentially the CCKO model during the transitional years in young adulthood to see if that has any effect on outcomes in the adult space. That's really exciting to hear. I also wonder, it may be interesting if there's opportunity, you know, anticipating you'll likely have a similar family partnership approach, whether patients themselves to the degree that they may be able to inform some of the study. I think that would just be a really wonderful opportunity. I'm really excited to, to hear more about that project. Yeah, I, I actually think we're going to try to actually improve on our family engagement from CCKO to PitCare. PitCare, we actually have family members as co-investigators in our study. We have a family advisory committee and we have them on our executive. So we're really trying to build on what we learn in CCKO to do an even better job at engaging patients and families in every step of the research process. That's wonderful. Well, Dr. Cohen, I know you and your collaborators have made wonderful contributions to the field and continue to make those contributions. And I'm wondering if you have any advice or lessons learned to share with other budding researchers in this field. So I highly encourage people to enter this field. It's so rewarding as a clinician and as a researcher. There is an infinite amount of questions to be answered, clinical, health services, health policy, that are really right for the picking. I think to do it well, as I've learned over my career, it makes a huge difference to have a very big tent, to be very deliberative in your collaborations and think really long and hard about having perspectives that you don't have yourself as part of your research team. So we spoke, I think, a lot today about patients and families. That piece is critical. And there are so many other ways to think through how to build that tent in a way that creates the most meaningful knowledge possible. So I highly encourage people to go into complex care research. We need more people. It will make a huge difference in the field and a huge difference in the lives of children and families. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Cohen, and thank you to you and your team for advancing the field of complex care. 
And thank you to all of you for listening to the Complex Care Journal Club podcast. We aim to highlight research that has the potential to be practice changing, that values patient and family engagement, is relevant across disciplines and diagnoses, and uses high quality or novel research methods. We invite you to join the conversation by suggesting an article that you would like to see discussed in this podcast using the form provided on the Open Pediatrics YouTube channel. Thank you for joining us.